You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Tonight we are officially kicking off the holidays of the Disneyland Resort right here at It's a Small World Holiday. Joining us this year to help out is the Southern California Children's Chorus. Also at Disneyland Park, a Christmas fantasy parade, one of my personal returning favorites. We have Haunted Mansion Holiday, Jingle Cruise, and of course, you can cap it all off at the end of the night with Believe in Holiday Magic Fireworks and Snow on Main Street. Over at Disney California Adventure Park, Steven Davison, the creator of World of Color, will introduce the brand new holiday World of Color called World of Color Season of Light. We've taken holiday songs that you know and love, and we've mixed them with beautiful Disney Pixar images and moments. And what happens when you do that, as you'll see tonight, it really is a magical treat. In addition to World of Color, Season of Light, we have a brand new festival of holidays with music, dance, food, drinks, crafts, all inspired by diverse cultural holiday traditions. We also have the very first Disney princess inspired by Latin American cultures, Princess Elena of Avalor. And we're bringing back Disney Viva Navidad, all of the beautiful holiday decorations, and of course, a chance to meet Santa. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can find All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Alrighty there, take your pixie out of your pockets, because it's time to fly away to Neverland with me, your host, your Spider-Pan, Jeremy. We have some fun to have today, which I bet you're looking for some fun. We're getting into the holidays. It's the season of fun, right? We're getting ready this week to give thanks for all the things that we have here in this country. There's plenty that you have to be thankful for, and if you can't think of anything, then just stop and take a look at all that you have. Even when it looks bad, you have plenty to be thankful for. So remember that this week as you're getting together with your family and your friends. And heck, if you got nothing to be thankful for that you can think of at this point yet, I've got some awesome news right here that we're going to tell you some things that you can be thankful for going on right now in the Disney parks. So let's go ahead and get right to it. 
spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Okay, here's something you can be thankful for if you're a Star Wars fan, right? And I know you're a Star Wars fan, otherwise you probably wouldn't be listening to this show. Who knows? But, okay, there was a D23 Destination D presentation, and Walt Disney Parks and Resorts Chairman Bob Chapek, and I'm, I'm probably getting his name wrong, but they're adding a new adventure to the Star Tours The Adventure Continues attraction. Uh, Walt Disney Imagineering and Lucasfilm are currently working on a production to add an exciting new mission to the attraction based on elements from Star Wars Episode Eight. Ta-da! I know, you're not exactly shocked that this is what's going to happen. I mean, we kind of expected it, but it's cool when we get the announcement, right? I mean, here it comes, right? So, very, very exciting. Something else that it's on its way to the uh, Disney Parks and Resorts is Moana. Now, of course, Moana opens in 3D here November 23rd. That's this Wednesday. But Moana is setting out on another journey to visit with guests at Disney destinations around the world. Moana has arrived already at Olani, the Disney Resort and Spa in Hawaii, uh, to meet guests. Recount tells the adventure. Later in the month, she's going to make her way to Disneyland in California and Walt Disney World in Florida. I do not have dates for those appearances, but it's coming. And I'm pretty sure it'll probably be around Wednesday when uh, when the movie comes out. Uh, But a little bit of description of Moana. So an adventurous teenager sets sail on a mission to save her people, and during the journey, of course, convinces the Debon god Maui to guide her in the quest to become a master wayfinder, and they're going to sail across the open ocean in an exciting adventure, and she's going to fulfill the quest of her ancestors and discover the one thing she's always wondered about, and that is her identity. Uh, Very exciting, of course, that movie coming out Wednesday. I am planning to get to it as quickly as I can for a full review next week. I do have a review for you this week, but... We'll get to that later. Frozen is going to be... Well, actually has already started on November the 10th. They they set their first uh, voyage out there. I believe believe it's the Disney Dream. I saw on the Disney Cruise Lines, there is a Frozen musical spectacular going on in the Walt Disney Theater on the Disney Wonder. Yes. Uh, This, of course, will be a delight for all of you Frozen fans. Some of us are really kind of tired of it, but you know what? I bet it will be a very good show. I'm sure they've put a lot of effort into it. Uh, it's a 977-seat theater there, so everybody on the cruise should be able to squeeze in there, right? <laughs> At some point to go and see it. There's going to be some ensemble pieces. There's going to be plenty of songs. You're going to sing along, or you're going to skip the whole thing. Uh, production features some popular music and lyrics uh, from, of course, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. And, of course, has been adapted from the screenplay by four-time Tony Award nominee Chad Begulin, uh, known who's also did Aladdin, uh, adapted that for Broadway. So this might be very similar to what you're seeing currently over in Disney's California Adventure. I don't know, uh, but if you happen to go on that cruise and you see the show and you want to tell us about it, feel free to drop us a line. Alrighty, now we got some news about Pandora. You know, the... Uh, Avatar World that's coming into Disney's Animal Kingdom. Yeah, I know you were really on edge through your seat waiting for this, weren't you? It's probably going to be cool. I really, I didn't even see the movie. I'm not that concerned. But we do have an opening date, sort of. It's summer of 2017. Kind of generic there. Could be any point during the summer. I guess it all depends when they feel like they have everything ready. But some scaffolding has been removed from a bridge... Okay, kind of near the Tiffin's restaurant. If you've been in the Animal Kingdom, you may have seen this. 
Uh, but this is connecting the land of Pandora with the rest of the park, is this bridge. And this is supposed to have been built by the uh, destructive company called the RDA. Basically the humans, because darn us evil humans, you know. <laughs> but, so Walt Disney Imagineering and Lightstorm Entertainment have put this together. They've got this bridge that the RDA has built. Uh, there actually is some footage on YouTube I've seen of one of the Navi. And of course, as we expect with an animatronic character, it looks amazing. So, uh, yeah, if you're really interested in this, it's going to be cool. If you're not interested in this, it's probably still going to be cool. And I think, you know, it, it's worth a look. Uh, so those of you that are fans of Avatar, I, I don't know where you are out there, but I'm sure you're out there. <laughs> you're going to enjoy this. The rest of us are just going to really get a kick. But uh, you're going to be able to experience two excursions. It's going to really uh, be they're, it's a saying it's going to push adventure to the next level. So there's a family-friendly Navi River journey that's going to send guests down a sacred river hidden within a bioluminescent rainforest. I'm sure it'll be really cool to see. Uh, as you're going to end in an unforgettable encounter with a Navi shaman, a figure who has deep connection to the life force of Pandora. And, of course, the Avatar Flight of Passes excursion. It's going to offer some jaw-dropping experience of riding on a banshee over the world of Pandora. So, by sea or by air, there's a couple of really cool rides that are coming in there that you know, whether you're interested in the movies or not, it's still, it should be really cool. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be worth checking out, right? So, let's go have a look over at Disney Springs, because tonight, as I record this here on November the 20th, there's going to be a drones show. Now, I got to see some videos. Somebody you know, got a preview of this. And I cannot imagine the effort that goes into making some of this, the programming. But you've got drones, 300 of them up in the sky and they're lighting to different colors and they're flying into different patterns and making shapes and they're animating uh, it's amazing and you know this is called star bright holidays and intel collaboration i figure that means they've you know worked with intel must be a sponsor but uh basically i think it's going to be free I mean, this is over at Disney Springs, so if you want to see a kind of a cool Disney show, just go over to Disney Springs and check this out. Now, I do not know what time tonight it's starting. Oh, wait, here it is, 8.30 p.m. <laughs> and it's running from November 20th through January the 8th. So 8.30, and I figure that is Eastern time because, of course, we're dealing with Florida, right? So 8.30 tonight, go check it out. And hey, if you happen to see this, Send us an email. Let us know what you thought. Podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com is where you can reach me. Looks to be very, very cool. But uh, now, let's go and visit the trailer park. All right, y'all. One more time. It don't matter what you look like. It don't nobody gonna sing with me. Okay. The Neverland Trailer Park. These are photos of an island in the South Pacific. The place where myth and science meet. We use explosives to shake the earth, helping us to map the surface of the island. You're dropping bombs. Mm. Scientific instruments. I see trouble on the way. Is that a monkey? thing was out here i'm sorry for your man colonel but if you want to make their sacrifice worthwhile hit us home with proof monsters exist oh, whoa, 
Your friend there can put that down. What the hell is this place? That's Kong. He's king around here. Kong's pretty good king. Keeps to himself mostly. Well, you don't go into someone's house and start dropping bombs unless you're picking a fight. Kong's god on the island, but the devils live below us. And what are they called? I call them skull crawlers. Why? Never said that name out loud before. It sounds stupid now that I say. Just you call them whatever you want. group of boys. We're all gonna die together out here. <laughs> you shouldn't have come here. All right, so Kong, Skull Island. This appears to be a prequel to the, you know, very legendary film King Kong, which has been remade not even, I don't even know how many times, <laughs> at least three other times. But this, of course, features Tom Hiddleston, uh, my goodness, and a, a lot of different casts, and I think a lot of people are just going to see it for Tom Hiddleston. I also recognize the actor who is known as the voice of Ralph, which his name just completely went right out of my mind right now. But uh, this looks cool. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, just a, a lot of different characters. Of course, it's a King Kong movie, so it's something special, and they know it's going to be a blockbuster. So I'm sure a lot of different actors would be interested in playing a, a part in this. Looks amazing. This is an island of monsters where Kong reigns supreme as king. And they have some really cool shots of just a look of this giant gorilla as he uh, looks upon his enemies, which are some humans that are dropping bombs that are really... They're doing seismic research, apparently. But they unleash some sort of monster that has been buried underneath the ground. And uh, I'm saying this is going to be a great monster flick. This looks like a lot of fun. I This this is the first I've seen of this film. I bet, apparently, there was a little bit of a teaser at uh, the San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, but this is the first trailer that I've seen, and I am interested in this. This looks fun. Uh, this will be coming out later, well, pretty early next year. I believe this is going to be uh, around spring. Uh, so we'll be looking forward to this, and we'll check it out. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie. Yeah, we're going to be a movie. Starring Where you people sing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken. Oh, good. You've known for 24 hours that an unregistered wizard set magical beasts loose in New York. Yes. Where is this man? So. You're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? Use travels first. Mr. Scamander, do you know anything about the wizarding community in America? We don't let things loose. Hey, Mr. English guy, I think your egg is hatching. You 
wiped his memory, right? The no magic. The what? No magic. The non-wizard. Sorry, we call them muggles. I don't think I'm dreaming. Gave it away. I ain't got the brains to make this up. Something is stalking our city. Wreaking destruction. And then disappearing without a trace. Witches live among us. We've lived in the shadows for too long. I ask all of you, who does this protect? Us? Danger. He senses danger. This is related to Grindelwald's attacks in Europe. This could mean war. We got a plan, right, guys? They need our help. Was that everything that came out of the case? I won't let another one die. I refuse to bow down any longer. Time is running out, Mr. Commander. Alrighty, so Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, a prequel to the Harry Potter series. Alright, so granted this is not Disney, but it is, you know, a fun thing over in Universal, so we're definitely going to talk about it. It's a Warner Brothers thing, and it's unfortunate Disney didn't get the rights to make it because I'd love to see what they have done, but the Universal did some really cool stuff with the Harry Potter franchise. But get the thoughts of this being Harry Potter out of your head. It, this is not a Harry Potter story. This is also not an adaptation from a J.K. Rowling story. This is J.K. Rowling writing a screenplay, which we're expecting a total of three films about Newt Scamander. Now, Newt Scamander has come to America, and I don't want to spoil anything, but he's come to America. We'll, just, we'll give you that. And uh, some of his creatures that he's carrying around in a briefcase have gotten loose, but there's also some destructive forces that are roaming about in New York in 1926 that uh, are causing some suspicions on the magical community and there is a group of new Salemites that uh, they they know there's something wrong and supernatural going on and they are they're kind of you know saying you know what we need to get rid of these witches so you've got a lot of tensions going on between the magical community and the non-magical community and there are certain levels of secrecy that the magical congress has and uh, I believe they call it the Makusa for short but there is a, a magical congress of the United States uh, they are really, really strict on uh, the allowance of, for instance, even having magical creatures around. They don't even want those around because I guess they had some serious troubles. So they're really big on the whole secrecy thing and the tensions are kind of building because they don't know what to expect from these uh, non-mages that are, you know, calling themselves like a New Salem group. 
So there's definitely this tension. So you've got the uh, this this monster kind of going around, and Newt's commander has just wandered innocently into it, and some fun is really going to happen. And I, I can't really say any more than that because I really don't want to spoil anything. But I really had a lot of fun with this. This was very good. This this is paced in the tone of one of her books. This isn't rushed through like an adaptation where they just kind of take what they can and follow just one main storyline. This is J.K. Rowling allowed, being allowed to have multiple storylines running at one time. And they kind of converge by the end. It becomes important, but you do have you know, Newt's commander, what's going on there. And then you have this mysterious happenings that are going on and somehow are connected with Galette Grindelwald, which we have a nice newspaper montage at the very opening of the film, which is reminiscent of what you would get sometimes in J.K. Rowling's books. Sometimes at the beginning, they would, uh, just to let you know what all's happened in between books, there'd be some newspapers strewn about Harry's room or something, or he'd read something. You know, you would you would get a little bit of information, which the movies really didn't do a whole lot. I mean, you, you did have some of the newspapers just to kind of move the story along in the middle, but not at the beginning like this. So I, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, but this, of course, you've got a whole new cast of characters. You've got Graves, played by Colin Farrell, who, uh, well, he kind of—you can see him as a bit of an antagonist already from the trailer, but I don't want to get into any details on him because J.K. Rowling writes in the style of a mystery, and I do not want to spoil anything. Eddie Redmayne, Eddie, Eddie Redmayne, which I'm not familiar with this actor. I have not seen him in anything. Uh, I don't know if it's part of his nature or the way he interpreted this character. Uh, but you may have seen him in The Theory of Everything uh, and Les Miserables. I didn't see either of these. But he almost seems to lack the ability to look anyone in the eye for very long. Which, like I said, I don't know if that's a character thing he was bringing to Newt's commander or just part of his nature. Maybe he's not, you know, maybe that's just how he is. I don't know, but I've, I've never seen him in anything. But uh, I found it to be interesting, but yet a little, you know, I, it made, did make me wonder about his portrayal of the character. If it was on purpose, if Newt's supposed to be kind of that way. Because um, there are times he's very focused, but he's, when he's not looking directly at something. Like maybe when he's looking at a magical creature, although there is times of a magical creature that he's got to interact with directly that he seems to kind of look away awkwardly. Uh, he seemed just very, very awkward the whole time. And I, I don't know, like I said, I don't know if that's something for character or... It's just him. Uh, but he was enjoyable. Then you also have Tina, which uh, is short for her full name, which I will get into that later. She is a former Auror here in the States. Uh, I'm not going to tell you why she's no longer an Auror, because I don't want to spoil anything for that either. You also have Kowalski. That's the guy you've seen in the trailer, played by Dan Fogler. Uh, kind of heavyset guy with a mustache. Uh, he is sort of a friend and sidekick for Newt and helps him out with collecting the uh, creatures that have escaped from his uh, carriage or well carriage is not the right word but you know his suitcase carry-on I think is what I was thinking because it looked like carry-on baggage uh, and I really I'm being very very careful to not spoil anything for you but there was kind of a we saw that coming suitcase swap that happens uh, which you're gonna see coming so I don't feel that this is really a spoiler you know, a little bit predictable. You kind of get the idea that this is going to happen when you see that they both have a similar-looking case with them. Uh, you also have an interesting character, Credence Barebone, played by Ezra Miller. Uh, he looks familiar. I, I, I didn't really place to where he was, but this is an interesting character. He's very, very quiet. Uh, he is the son of uh, the woman that I didn't really catch the name of, that she's... 
she's kind of the one in charge of the Salem group, and uh, you kind of get to see that she really has mistreated him, and she does have a group of children that she uses for her own means, and uh, you kind of get the idea that she's kind of oppressive over them, like they're a bunch of orphans, and she's the, uh, like, uh, you know, if you saw the movie, the original movie, Annie, and they know the musical of Annie, uh, Carol Burnett's character in the original movie, you know, she's kind of like that, uh, Miss Hannigan. She really comes across a lot as Miss Hannigan. Uh, but those are your basic characters. There's a few other, you know, odds and ends and stuff, but I actually found this movie to be really fun. I really enjoyed it. I liked getting back to J.K. Rowling's pacing and development of story. Uh, and it's a wonder to behold. There's a lot of really fun creatures to see. I do, however, have a couple of questionable complaints, but to say anything here would spoil anything. Okay, so I can't tell you, but there are a couple of things at the end that if you're thinking, you might say, wait a minute. Now, if you will wait till the end of the podcast, I mean, to the bitter end, I will talk about those.
Cut your elbow then. Oh, and don't forget to retrieve your stowed belongings, lest you want them confiscated by Mr. Fuchs. This is your Neverland story time. You can listen along with your MP3 device. You will know it is time to listen when you hear the chime like this. Let's begin now. This is the story of Mary Poppins. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Hello there. My name is Bert. I'm sort of a man about town, you might say. I do what suits me. Sell kites, clean chimneys, or paint pictures on sidewalks. Today it suits me to be a one-man band. Why don't you come with me? London is grand this time of year. Well now, here we are at Cherry Tree Lane. And over there is number 17, where the Banks family lives. Not too long ago, something very unusual and very wonderful happened at the Banks' home. Let me tell you the story. Mr. Banks, you see, worked all day in a bank. And Mrs. Banks was always busy with club meetings and such. So Jane and Michael, the Banks' children, had to have a nanny, which is a person who looks after children. Jane and Michael had had several nannies, and on this particular day, the latest one had just left, informing Mr. and Mrs. Banks that they'd have to find someone else to look after their little monsters. Jane and Michael weren't really naughty. The nanny simply misunderstood. She thought the children had run away from her when all they'd done was follow their kite. Constable Jones tried to explain when he brought the children home but the nanny wouldn't listen. Now Mr. and Mrs. Banks had to find still another nanny. The way to do that was to place an advertisement in the newspaper, calling for someone firm and sensible. Jane and Michael, of course, had their own idea about the kind of person who should be their nanny, and to help their father, they wrote an advertisement for him. Wanted a nanny must have cheery disposition, rosy cheeks, and be willing to play games. When Mr. Banks saw the children's advertisement, he called it ridiculous nonsense. He tore it up, threw it in the fireplace, and wrote the advertisement himself. But late that night, a strange breeze blew down the bank's chimney and carried the pieces up into the night sky. The next morning, when Jane and Michael got up, the line of nannies they saw from their window stretched clear around the block. They were all waiting to be interviewed by Mr. Banks. And a firm and sensible lot they were, not a rosy cheek among them. Jane looked at the nannies in dismay. I don't understand, Michael. They're not what we advertise for at all. But just then, a wind started blowing from the east. Down Cherry Tree Lane, the east wind blew, growing stronger and stronger. Finally, it picked up all those firm and sensible nannies and blew them away. Before Mr. Banks even knew they were there, 
every last one of them was gone. Jane and Michael watched in glee from the nursery window. Then riding toward them on the east wind, a person holding a black umbrella approached. Oh, look, Michael, it's her, our nanny, rosy cheeks and everything. The rosy-cheeked person landed on the doorstep of number 17. She promptly marched in and said, Mr. Banks, I am the new nanny. And before Mr. Banks even knew what had happened, she slid up the banister to the nursery. My name is Mary Poppins. She said, taking off her coat and hat. Come along, children. We'll begin with a game called Let's Tidy Up the Nursery. Jane didn't like the sound of that. Are you sure it's a game, Mary Poppins? That depends on your point of view. You see, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap. The job's a game. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. The medicine go down. Medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. In the most delightful way. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap. The job's a game. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake. Mary Poppins snapped her fingers, and sure enough, Let's Tidy Up the Nursery became a magical game. Toys put themselves away, beds made themselves, clothes hung themselves up, and soon the nursery was neat as a pin. The children were delighted. Mary Poppins, you're wonderful! Of course, and now you must get some sleep. Tomorrow we'll have an outing in the park. The next day, it suited me to be a sidewalk artist, and I was drawing pictures in chalk when I looked up and saw Mary Poppins and the children. You're lucky children indeed. When you're with Mary Poppins, magic just seems to happen. How about a bit of magic right now, Mary Poppins? No one's looking. Well, if we must, we must. Now line up and jump. Suddenly, we found ourselves inside one of my sidewalk pictures at a county fair. All four of us took a ride on a carousel. And then Mary Poppins rode her horse right off the carousel. And ours followed. We joined a fox hunt and entered a horse race. Oh, we had a jolly time. That evening, when Mary Poppins tucked the children in, Jane had a request. Oh, Mary Poppins, we had the most wonderful day. Promise you'll never leave us. That's a pie crust promise. Easily made, easily broken. I shall stay until the wind changes. Now, go to sleep. Tomorrow you are going on an outing with your father. To the bank where he works. Jane and Michael were surprised. Really? Father has never taken us anywhere before. Indeed, he hadn't been too pleased with Mary Poppins when he had heard about the children's recent adventure. Really, Mary Poppins, the children's outing should be practical, educational. And Mary Poppins agreed. I quite see your point, Mr. Banks. Tomorrow the children shall be at your side. Bright and early the next morning, the children set off for the bank with their father. 
Michael had brought some coins with him to buy food for the birds. But Mr. Banks wouldn't hear of that. You must put your money in the bank where it will earn interest. Give it to me. All of a sudden, the outing with their father lost all its promise of fun. And Jane and Michael let go of his hands. They ran off and got themselves lost. It was a good thing they ran into me. That day, it suited me to be a chimney sweep. And the children were happy to see me. But they were still upset. Oh, Bert, Father tried to take Michael's money. He doesn't like us at all. I put a stop to that kind of talk. Your father loves you very much. It's him I feel sorry for. There he is all day in that cold, heartless bank. And nothing to keep him company but money. That made them think twice. Jane and Michael decided to apologize. Come along then, I said. It's my day to clean your chimney. I'll take you home. But before I could even get started on their chimney, Mary Poppins had a surprise for us. In a twinkling, she whisked us all up the chimney and out onto the rooftop. We gazed out over the rooftops of London. What a beautiful sight, said I. And who gets to see it from up here but the birds, the stars and the chimney sweeps. We danced and sang and had a regular party. When you're with Mary Poppins, the most magical things seem to happen. Jane and Michael felt much better after their party on the rooftop, and they went straight to their father. Michael offered him his coins to put in the bank. Mr. Banks smiled. Keep your money, Michael. I was only doing what I thought best for you. But now I see that money isn't that important. It's having fun that counts at your age. And from now on, I'm going to spend a lot more time with you both. And Mr. Banks gave the children a hug and went off to make them a kite. Then the whole Banks family went to the park together. For the first time in ever so long, they flew their kite and had a grand time. The wind had changed and everyone wanted to fly a kite. I was the only one who noticed Mary Poppins sailing away on the west wind. Goodbye, Mary Poppins, I waved. Don't stay away too long. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious Supercalifragilistic, expialidocious Because I was afraid to speak when I was just a lad Me father gave me nose a tweak and tell me I was bad But then one day I learned a word that saved me a nose The biggest word you ever heard and this is how it goes Supercalifragilistic, expialidocious Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious Supercalifragilistic, expialidocious He traveled all around the world and everywhere he went He'd use his word and all would say, there go 
Joe's a clever gent. When Dukes and Maharajas pass the time of day with me, I say me special word and then they ask me out to tea. Supertantantantantistic expianidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always start to cautious. Supertantantantantistic expianidocious, I'm to Disney and beyond. Alrighty, I wanted to get into a little bit uh, about some of the fun of the Harry Potter series, and namely, uh, this book here, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, that is quote-unquote written by Newt Scamander. This is one of the textbooks there at Hogwarts. And uh, we're learning about Newt Scamander, basically, as he's going into writing the books, and the film you know, actually talks about why he decides to write the book. Uh, there is a nice section I'm going to read for you out of the book that is, you know, quote-unquote, about the author. But Newton, also known as Newt, Artemis Fido Scamander, was born in 1897. His interest in fabulous beasts was encouraged by his mother, who was an enthusiastic breeder of fancy hippogriffs. Upon graduation from a Hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry, Mr. Scamander joined the Ministry of Magic in the Department for Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. Now, the interesting thing is in the movie... It, it mentions he may have been kicked out from the school for causing an accident. I don't want to spoil anything. But that's interesting that it talks about upon graduation because the movie seems to imply that he didn't really graduate. Probably he's gotten his owls, but he was kicked out before he could complete his newt. He joined the Ministry of Magic in the Department for Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. And after two years at the Office for House Elf Relocation years, he describes as tedious in the extreme. He was transferred to the Beast Division, where his prodigious knowledge of bizarre magical creatures ensured his rapid promotion. Although almost solely responsible for the creation of the Werewolf Registrar in 1947, he says he is proudest of the ban on experimental breeding passed in 1965, which effectively prevented the creation of new and untamable monsters within Britain. Mr. Scamander's work with the Dragon Research and Restraint Bureau led to many research trips abroad, during which he collected information for his worldwide bestseller, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, now in its 52nd edition. Newt Scamander was awarded the Order of Moreland, second class, in 1979 in recognition of his services to the study of magical beasts. Magizoology. That's a $5 million word here. Let me say it again. Magizoology. Okay? Magic zoo. Get it? Okay. <laughs> now retired, he lives in Dorset with his wife, Porpatina, and their pets, Measles, Hoppy, Miller, and Mahler. Now, did you catch that? I did mention in the movie review there's a character named Tina, uh, and she's got a full name, and here it was, Porpatina. So I hope I didn't spoil anything, but in the book you will find that that is later to be his wife. Uh, so I expect in later films we're going to see her as well. Now, the fun thing about this book is it is supposed to have been they took a copy of Harry's book, including any doodles and notes or everything that him and Ron or Hermione might have written in the book. Uh, and it's very fun while you're going through the book and reading all these different about these creatures to see the little notes that they've made about creatures. Uh, it's J.K. Rowling's signature humor. It's really quite fun. But I thought it would be interesting. Any creatures that I managed to identify while viewing the film, I have marked here in the book so I can... Look it up. Now, there was kind of a prominent insect-like creature that I figured was probably some sort of a pixie, knowing how J.K. Rowling likes to portray them and her ideas. Uh, a lot of her creatures, though, do come based on some legends and folklore uh, around the uh, the British Isles there, which I do have some books on some of those creatures, which, you know, it's really interesting to study some of the different things that they came up with that exist. 
Uh, but let me go through some of these creatures that you will find in the movie. And I'm going to read these to you. And this, for course, a bow truckle. People who have read the books will be familiar with bow truckles. If you've only seen the movies, you're not going to be familiar with it until you watch this film or perhaps you uh, read this book. Uh, this, of course, is this book is available in a three book set. Uh, and some of the proceeds go to charities that uh, the J.K. Rowling is fond of. But anyways, the Bulltruckle is a tree guardian creature found mainly in the west of England, southern Germany, and certain Scandinavian forests. It is immensely difficult to spot, being small, maximum 8 inches in height, and apparently made of bark and truckle, which eats insects, The Bulltruckle, which eats insects, is a peaceable and intensely shy creature, but if the tree in which it lives is threatened, it has been known to leap down upon the woodcutter or tree surgeon, attempting to harm its home and gouge at their eyes with its long, sharp fingers. An offering of wood lice will placate the Bowtruckle long enough to let a witch or wizard remove wand wood from its tree. Uh, so it looks like they mainly go after magical trees and uh, make ho their homes in them. And there is a prominent Bowtruckle in the film, which was an adorable little character, and you're really going to enjoy it. I'm expecting there's going to be some toys of some of these magical creatures in stores. I haven't seen any yet, but I, I can't imagine them not having toys out at this time. Okay, a demiguise. The demiguise is found in the Far East, though only with great difficulty, for this beast is able to make itself invisible when threatened and can be seen only by wizards skilled in its capture. The demiguise is a peaceful herbivorous beast, something like a graceful ape in appearance, with large black dolphal eyes more often than not hidden by its hair. The whole body is covered in long, fine, silky, silvery hair. Demiguise pelts are highly valued, as the hair may be spun into invisibility cloaks. And yes, there's a very prominent demiguise that you're going to see in the film. Alrighty, another, another character, or creature, rather, that should be familiar to you if you've read the books and have seen the movies. You might remember there's a mention of an arumpant horn. Xenophilius Lovegood. You remember Luna Lovegood's father had a horn that he thought was like a crumple horn snorkak horn, but it's actually an erumpent horn, and which Hermione uses to explode things, all right, so they can escape. Well, here's what it says about the erumpent, and you're going to see an erumpent in this film. The erumpent is a large gray African beast of great power, weighing up to a ton. The erumpent may be mistaken for a rhinoceros at a distance. It has a thick hide that repels most charms and curses, a large, sharp horn upon its nose, and a long, rope-like tail. Erumpets give birth to only one calf at a time. The erumpet will not attack unless sorely provoked, but should it charge, the results are usually catastrophic. The erumpet's horn can pierce everything from skin to metal and contains a deadly fluid which will cause whatever is injected with it to explode. And in the film, you will see that happen. It's pretty cool. Uh, erumpent numbers are not great, as males frequently explode each other during the mating season. They are treated with great caution by African wizards. Erumpent horns, tails, and the exploding fluid are all used in potions, though classified as a Class B tradable material, dangerous and subject to strict control. Another interesting thing that we did, I did find in there. Now this, this I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw this creature. The, basically, you just kind of see it in the background. It's kind of in, you know, uh, just in its colors, and you see it just quickly eat another creature. It's kind of fun. Um, but a whooper, and there's a drawing of it in the book, which is why I'm pretty sure that's what I saw in the film. And it says the whooper is an African bird with extremely vivid plumage. Whoopers may be orange, pink, lime green, or yellow. The whooper has long been a provider of fancy quills and also lays brilliantly patterned eggs. Though at first enjoyable, Whooper Song will eventually drive the listener to insanity 
and the whooper is consequently sold with a silencing charm upon it, which will need, need monthly reinforcement. Whooper owners require licensing, as the creatures must be handled responsibly. Alrighty, now I have a couple more creatures that, if you've seen the films, you, you uh, might be familiar with one of them. I think they do mention this, but the books, if you've read the books, you're going to be more familiar with a Murtlap, because there is a Murtlap essence, which kind of has some healing properties, which uh, I believe that's what Harry, when his hand has been uh, bloodied up, um, when he's writing those uh, lines there uh, in uh, the Order of the Phoenix, uh, he soaks his hand in Murtlap essence. All right, so here's a Murtlap. The Murtlap is a rat-like creature found in coastal areas of Britain. It is a growth upon. It has a growth upon its back, resembling a sea anemone. When pickled and eaten, these Murtlap growths promote resistance to curses and jinxes, though an overdose may cause unsightly purple ear hair. <laughs> Murtlaps eat crustaceans and the feet of anyone foolish enough to step on them. You will see a Murtlap in the film. A Niffler, which if you've seen the trailer, you've seen a Niffler. If you've read the books, you know what a Niffler is. If you've only ever seen the Harry Potter movies, you're not going to have a clue about this little guy, but you're going to love this this character, uh, creature basically in the movie. The Niffler is a British beast. Fluffy, black, and long-snouted, this burrowing creature has a predilection for anything glittery. Nifflers are often kept by goblins to burrow deep into the earth for treasure. Though the Niffler is gentle and even affectionate, it can be destructive to belongings and should never be kept in the house. Nifflers live on layers up to 20 feet below the surface and produce 6 to 8 young in a litter. And my goodness, if they do not make a toy of this creature, I will be surprised. Uh, it, it just says, little plush doll, <laughs> you know. And they could even make little pockets you can hide your uh, your stuff in. It would be uh, rather brilliant, I think. <laughs> All right, but uh, those are uh, some of the creatures you're going to find in the movie. There are some creatures that were... Uh, not mentioned here in the, the textbook, you know, as we we're calling it a textbook. But they did invent some interesting creatures for the film. Uh, overall, though, a uh, very interesting read. I suggest you get yourself a copy of this. There is also a copy of the screenplay that J.K. Rowling has released. Uh, and this, if you didn't enjoy The Cursed Child, because, well, actually, she didn't write this. The Cursed Child is you know, not that great. But uh, I'm sure this screenplay will be a fun read because it is actually penned by... J.K. Rowling. Although, as I did say, I do have a couple of problems, and you know, perhaps some of these problems are solved in the screenplay. Go, I'm going to pick that up. I think myself, I'd like to read it because uh, it's it is definitely in more of her style. Thank you for listening to the Neverland podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. 
Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. All right, now I promised you here at the end of the show that I was going to talk about some spoilers from the film of things that I really did not like. All righty, so hopefully you've seen the film so you know what I'm talking about. There is a certain venom that is seeded into a cloud to cause a rain that will cause anyone who gets into the rain to forget. Uh, And I guess it's got to go back far enough, you know, to where they forget all the uh, amazing things that they have all witnessed. We see a bunch of wizards go out into the streets and repair the damage to the buildings in this rain. Are they forgetting all about it themselves as they repair it? Because there's nothing to protect them from this rain. So then I started to think, well, maybe... Just maybe it doesn't affect wizards, only the non-mage or muggles, whatever you want to call them. Because we do see Kowalski go out into the rain and forget, although he's, he bears like a little bit of memory still in there. We do see Queenie go out into the rain, but she conjures an umbrella for herself. She protects herself from the rain, which to me says that there is a risk that she could forget as well. So I still don't know what protected those wizards. I didn't see them do anything with their wands to protect themselves. They're using their wands to repair the damages. What in the world? Were they just like, you know, hey, you're going to forget all this stuff, but can you go out and repair this stuff, and then you you won't remember why you're repairing things? Is that what this conversation must have been like? Uh, Also, another thing I kind of had a problem with was you see Kowalski gets a case, and then he, he gets a little note. That says, all right, well, in here you're going to find some eggshells from these certain creatures. Uh, and I guess the eggshells are going to be valuable. To whom? Other wizards? Now, we get a kind of look. It looks like on the inside of the eggshells, kind of a silver in color. So I guess there'd be some silver. But how in the world is he going to take this as collateral for a loan into a bank and then not wonder where in the world did these eggs come from? What What did you say these? What was the name of the creature on this note? What? So when the whole theme of this film is about the secrecy of the world's Isn't this breaking the secrecy right there? Because aren't they going to start to wonder, what are these creatures? I've never heard of these. Where do these eggs really come from? Is this really silver? What? You know, um, another thing that really kind of bothered me was, how long has Grindelwald been disguised as Graves? Now, we do see Ron able to, uh, in the books and in the film, you're able to do some disguising to your physical appearance. You can kind of alter your form, which I'm sure he did it by way of magic and not through polyjuice potion. Wouldn't the... uh, the Congress of Magic, or the Magical Congress of the United States, have some sort of method to notice he's got a charm constantly on him? How long has he been able to be around and in a magical disguise and no one noticed that he's got this charm or whatever on him? Wouldn't they have some sort of security measures at some point when you step into the building that would notice this? It just, I don't know, it seems a little lazy. Now, it's very interesting, but it just seems a little bit... But then again, well, 
they did manage to even in the the in Green Gots Bank in Britain, you know, they they kind of detect Ron. They and they even have ways that they can remove any charms from anybody that has that that waterfall that they go through that ends any magic that might be used to disguise yourself. And it it really didn't fool the the goblins. So how in the world is a government office getting fooled by this so easily? I mean, it just kind of bothered me. But uh, those are my only complaints about the film, though. And I hope if you've listened to this, you've already seen the film. And if you haven't seen the film and, uh, and you've just listened to this, well, you were warned. But we'll see you next week and we'll talk all about Moana. <laughs>